Welcome to another episode, Never Sleepers to Speaking Duck. I'm your host, Alex Ross. Today I'm with food activist and chef, a member of the board of directors of the Stop Community Food Center here in Toronto. But we all know and love her for her TED Talks, for her chefs in cars getting takeout. <laughs> I really love that series. I want to welcome the chef of change. Joshna Maharaj. Welcome, Joshna. Thank you. Thanks for that nice introduction. Oh, we've been chatting before, and, and it's just so nice to have you here and, and have you represent so much that you do represent. And, and hey, I'm going to toot your horn for the next hour. That's so, awesome. yeah, no, that, that's you. what I'm here to do. Um, just right off the bat, the reason you're here is my girlfriend's a food activist has made me yeah. understand my food activism. I work local markets. I, I you know, sell um, some bread and, and, and it and I connect to the people and it's so much more than just this product that's made, but it is, it's, it's amazing. This ecosystem that a piece of bread creates. And yeah. I want to talk about the community in that ecosystem. Yeah, and, and I feel like you have a great approach to not only, you know, the younger generations, but for the older generations too, you're in this perfect age in between where you see yeah. both sides. So what are your current goals in food activism? Oh, that's, that's an awesome question. I'm on this side now of having done three, big institutional overhauls, right? I've, I've done projects in two hospitals and one university, uh, and I have a ton of lessons and an experience and knowledge, right? And I have the delight of moving around the world talking about this work and really pushing for the fact that with some thoughtful attention, institutional food can be a, a really impressive, nourishing, exciting thing, right? There's no reason why it has to be the bleak landscape that it is right now. And so after coming back, I was just in the UK in the summer. Um, and when I see the response that I get to the work that I do and the way I talk about it, there should be a book right? It should all go into something. Um, and so, delightfully, I have been approached by a publisher. Uh, I have a wonderful agent, and so have distilled all of that into uh, a nice lengthy table of contents that is now sitting with my editor. Distilled, I like that. Yeah, it was because like, I'm, I'm consumed with these uh, giant post-it notes. 3M makes these giant posts that are like, that's like chart paper. And every project I do, I do a mega brain dump about all the important things that we learned specific to that project and then how that contributes to the larger continuum around really honestly rebuilding institutional food. Uh, and it's it's just so much that I kind of want to create a bit of a toolkit for the revolution. The, the revolution. Right? So 100%. I, I, love, I love how you're this, this you know, you're this Joan of Arc of food right now. But you, right, yeah. you know, I have this like Mad, Mad Max, you know, Fury Road. When you say bleak, yeah. how bleak is it? Like why why bleak is the word that you choose to, to it's true though. Is it is it media though? Is it uh, a community thing that, you know, every community has the same issue with? What is the... It is, uh, it is all of that because it's the culture of food that exists in institutions, right? It's because it's institutional food currently is an irritating necessity best left to the lowest bidder right? There is no connection made between the role that food plays in both health and wellness, in education, and and in rehabilitation. I add that there because I haven't tackled prisons, and I haven't dealt with that, but that's this the third piece. It's right? amazing. Prisons, hospitals, and elementary and schools, schools. And schools all across the board. Why is, why, that's such a weird... I mean, it's, it makes sense, yeah. but yet when I put those three institutions in my head, they seem 
why is the food the the one undermined factor in this in all three you would think in yeah. schools especially like when you see think. jamie oliver in right. europe doing all that for those programs didn't he have a thing in canada too at some point or was it just probably in europe i think it was in europe but he like he's 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 loud and active right. god bless him right trying to make this this idea change around because truthfully our hospitals should be the place where the best food that we produce is served, right? Both the best grown food and the most thoughtfully prepared food. That should be the example, right? But it's, com- it's completely the opposite. Um, and we are not connected. And I, as I worked through my projects, I was like, okay, where did this come from, right? One answer is the fact that doctors get little to no nutrition education in medical school. Interesting. It's like a few hours. Interesting. Right? They're Makes not... Sense. They're not nutritionists. Not at all. And right. they're, not, they're not really plugged in to the role that food plays, sure. right? This this world often just thinks about calories in and calories out and that all calories are created the same when I firmly believe that that's not the truth. And I think that there's far too much uh, processed garbage food right. that is being served to people who are perhaps most vulnerable, young people, mm-hmm. right? When I when I life on campus, it made it did not make any sense to me when we all collectively decided that young people who need their brains and the, you know what I mean and have this sort of high stakes four years in their lives would be totally okay to subsist on weirdly non-perishable food. Right? I remember even when I showed up to university first year in residence and they handed me a paper bag full of like six things of ramen noodles, two things of craft dinner and all of and to be honest with you, it's not really food that I ate. Right. Right? And I remember looking in that bag thinking to myself, oh, is this me now? Was is this what's in front of me now? You went to McMaster. I did. Was that like a, your first culture shock of like what other families? Like I know you grew up in an Indian home and you yeah. probably had white friends. You probably had yep, yep. non-Indian friends. So you, you kind of explored other people's cuisines. But I mean, when you go to university, you finally see how the majority yes. eats. Yes. Not just like at your friend's house. Yep. And totally. Isn't that kind of a, a shock? Like I personally was raised by a mother that, you know, bless her. Always had a meal on the table when we yeah. got home. She was that, and she worked a full time job. Right. She totally not easy, you know, boss lady not for easy. sure, yeah. boss Ross. So coming out of that, I realized how important it is to have food constantly in the house yes. and and not to rely on convenience. So I was lucky, you know, I, I got out just enough to realize that oh my god, these decisions are yeah. going to kill me. Right. Well, and the, like that exactly is the message that I'm trying to deliver to university students when I was running food services, right? It's, you would see that uh, the students, when they would arrive in first year, everyone's at a very different level in terms of what their food hit. You know, some people have had parents who both provided all the food, but then also like policed it and controlled it, right? And so you have some students who for the first time are making decisions about oh, what they're eating, geez. right? And they need to stretch their legs. I like it when you put it out just like this. You're like, oh my God, we're letting these like immature brains totally. just all of a sudden by themselves start feeding That's it. their cravings and feeding their and decisions. And for years that have been building up, yeah. right? <laughs> Mom never Many let me of have them, these right? that. And Many I, of and them. And like, above, And I yeah. see it and their need to just do whatever they wanted to do. Plus, you know, beginning of the school year, there's money burning a hole in your pocket. Right, that meal card. You're right. You're living in downtown Toronto where there's stuff to eat, delicious things oh, yeah, 24 hours too. a day. Yeah, totally. Right? Cheap slices uh, of pizza mm, everywhere. Poutine I, and I was and not resident. Like, right? I was not resident and I ate like crap yeah. as a university student yeah. based on pricing. And listen, your bodies are elastic. 
right? At that point, I remember my early 20s. My body totally dealt with all the garbage that I put inside, right? right? right. And it sprung back. Uh, and so I would start talking to students about the fact that they are about to take on the responsibility of keeping their machine going. Right? That's the way I'd build it. I'd be like, you are now taking, you're about to take full control for the rest of your life. Right? Uh, so I understand that right now you got some stuff to work out, leaving your parents' house, starting your independence. So go for it. Go eat your poutine for breakfast. Oh. Go for it. Right? But in about three months, your body will start screaming at you because that's not a sustainable way to live. So that's when you come back to me. When you were at Ryerson yeah. as the executive chef, and I want to talk about that because I'm a Rye High grad. Right on. And some of my best industry years were in those those halls, but in, yeah. on those streets because it's such an interesting atmosphere because it's a downtown school yeah. and all the open street and the walking areas. Mm -hmm. And in the wintertime, they have the pond freezes over and people skating. It's like the most interesting concept for a university after going to so many other campuses and seeing right. Ryerson's. And I just recently went through and I saw this market there. I saw Oh, we did on a Wednesday market. afternoon? I get, it must yeah, have been yeah, a Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you have influence on that? We, it was, it had started a year before I arrived okay. um, and of course I was thrilled uh, yeah, and so sure. we really invested in supporting it okay. um, and we pushed and one of the tricks was finding the right mix of uh, raw ingredients and prepared foods because what we learned when we boosted the amount of prepared foods that were served there is that we got more people from all those office buildings oh yeah right because they need lunch and so the idea is come down for lunch and then if you get a bag of apples or uh, you know what I mean Smart. a nice loaf of bread or a bottle of maple syrup on your way out, then our job is done. So, I want to touch on Ryerson, but yeah. I first want to know your ability to have all these amazing credentials right. makes you so perfect for the role that you're providing, but it's so random at the same yes. time. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, yes, I'm sure do. you do know what I mean, but in the sense that you have this, you know, interest in hospitals and, yeah. and institutions, but you're also working with one of the biggest institutions. You were at one time, uh, recently you're not anymore, yeah. and you're using interesting experience from all these different places. Where does it start? Where do you finally decide, I don't want to just do all these different things. Now I'm Joshna Maharaj, and this is the goal I'm achieving now, and I'm finally using all the experience that everybody knows me from. Mm. What is it now? I actually, you are catching me on this side of having to actually sit and face that truth. I realized because I decided to jump in to like do my bit to see how we can pull the reins back on a freewheeling food system. Uh, I didn't, it wasn't specific where. You know what I mean? And so well, the work I did at the stop was amazing because it showed me what chefs can do outside of restaurants. Like that was the most exciting thing. And that a chef can animate other spaces, you know, and elevate them really beautifully. Um, and this institutional thing really kind of landed in my lap. Okay. Now explain that. Right? Because I, at the time, this was 2010, 2011, I happened to be on the steering committee at Slow Food Toronto. And the, the Scarborough Hospital was looking to make some change. 
but they didn't really know how to go about doing it. They had secured some grant money, amazingly, but they needed some guidance. So they really cast the net out to various food organizations. And Slow Food was one of them, which makes perfect sense. And the slow f- uh, my Slow Food pals forwarded me the email saying, we think you were actually the only person who can handle this because there wasn't really anybody dealing with this. And I was like, are you kidding me? A hospital is opening the door, ready to talk about changing its menus? I am there. You're like, I want to be a consultant. This consultant consulting job is now falling on my lap. I'm going to yeah. rock this. And I am going to ju- yeah. And uh and and honestly, the chance to get in there and right. see what's going on. Totally. Right? I was like, yeah, I'm and in. get paid to do it. Well, that yeah, that's the beautiful situation Absolutely. that there was funding to pay me to be there Absolutely. to support it all. Uh the original thought wasn't necessarily a chef, uh but because I show up with the package of all the things that I have, it was a perfect fit. Do you have classic training? And yeah. You yeah, do? Yeah, yeah. Where? From? Full on. George Brown. Okay. I did the chef training. Was I that after it. McMaster? Yes. Okay. Uh, truthfully, after a year in India. McMaster, a year in India, right. then cooking school. Right. So, you started your love of cooking in your Indian home in Brampton. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. You started working in yeah, the kitchen. Yeah, just by virtue of the fact that I am the oldest female child in an Indian family. That's put to just, work. That's just, there's no question. So when did it become, where did the love come? Because obviously you're doing that for, you know, the necessity of the family yes, to eat. Yes, yes, You're the oldest. Yep. Did it not? feel good at it, first like it was wasn't it, it just the same like connection job? this yeah. was just what i had to do and this is what my parents expected you know what i mean that was okay. just sort of what i did and luckily it helps that i came into this world generally a people pleaser okay <laughs> right but it was only in my university years and then finally in this really? year in india where i really understood what feeding somebody hmm. meant and delightfully, a lot of people have a lot of hard time believing the truth of this, but my roots in the kitchen come from a like really spiritual place, right? Because I spent a lot of time in uh, ashrams, which is a, a Hindu equivalent of a monastery, right? There's I spent a year living in one in India, but then there's also one in Northern California. Same organization, same connection. Uh, and I have an aunt who is a very good cook, and she roped me in one summer. All right. To come and just help her out in the kitchen. In which country? In Cal- in Northern California. Okay. Right? This is Humboldt County, uh, Northern California. Probably very nice and beautiful the red weather. Woods, the redwoods yeah. are oh, outstanding, right? It's outstanding. Yeah. And I was there for a month helping make uh, three meals a day for 80 people. Most of them Indian. But it was lots of Indian food that we were cooking. But there is, in that context, food is a deep blessing. Right. And all of the prayers and thanks and things that are offered up are about connections to the land and, you know, and the honor that it is to receive that the nutrition and the bounty that comes, you know, from our connection to the land. And that food is this perfect vehicle. Right. So this specifically is a religious. Yeah. Yeah. Full on Hindu community. Hindi right? or Hindu Absolute, community. Full on Hindu community. Uh, it is a connection that I made as a teenager by virtue of my family and what we were into. Um, but this kind of grew beautifully. And I really found myself enjoying the delight of feeding people. Okay. Right? And then when I went to live in India, my plan, like the plan was, I really didn't know what I was going to do. I just finished my degree uh, and I made this deal with my parents that they let me go live in the mountains for a year and that I would come back with my plan for the rest of my life. 
Uh, I mean, most college university students, that's pretty much the, I mean, especially nowadays, for sure. Exactly. Thankfully, they were into it. And I really like my plan was I was going to go for walks and I was going to eat mangoes. And that was that. I like that plan. And while I was there, the people who worked in the kitchen saw me doing what they thought was nothing. And they were like, what? They were just wondering who who my parents were, who just sent me off to this other part of the world. Didn't think about the fact that I should be marrying somebody because I was 25 and the clock was already ticking. Right. And they were very, they were very concerned about all of this. And so they literally dragged me into the kitchen to teach me how to cook. And at that point, I knew how to cook to get by, but I didn't know how to make Indian food. This is in California? No, now this is India. So this really, so this yeah. is a, a, in an ashram. Yeah, they're yeah. like, so did your parents have any influence on your trip at all? Or like the food kind of happened by accident? Like how- No, this all just happened. Really? Yeah, this all delightfully just happened. Interesting. Um, because they saw outside of the kitchen door is the steps where I used to sit on with my notebook and my mangoes. Sure. So they'd see me there often. You know what I mean? And be like, what is she doing? So you don't even have training yet. At no, this point. No. You're not even, George Brown's not even no, on your radar. No, not at all. Not at Interesting. all. Interesting. Right? It was, there was a something about it. And they roped me into the kitchen and I went in and the, and the kitchens in this context are sure. sacred spaces. Okay. So your shoes are off, you're barefoot, you're sitting cross-legged on the floor chopping vegetables in your lap. There's no, and, and big pots on propane burners stirred with what looked like canoe paddles. What part of India? Northern, the foothills of the Himalayas. Super beautiful. A super beautiful, inspiring place. And so it's a very spiritual place. Yes. So, and food is very spiritual. I really believe so. I, you right? know, I'm not religious, yeah. but I can understand the power and the That's energy it, right? of food. No, That's just, it. it makes sense, right? Yeah. I mean, however you want to call it. And if I did have a religion, it would be food for sure. Right. If that was my religion. No, it makes perfect sense. I, I think I'd be at the same, right? same meetings <laughs> as you. Yes. Well, I'm, my background's Jewish. So, because my family's reform and chill yeah and as i say yeah. like we get together every friday amazing and eat yeah. we get every holiday there's always something different on the table and we talk yeah. about it and it's cultural and you know we're not here to we're here to share our joyous parts of our culture mm-hmm. and that's really the that's all it is yeah with each other and our friends and For so sure. on so it's funny because i always say that i'm not there for like anything else but the food yeah. but I wouldn't be there you know they kind of go hand in hand that spiritualness yeah. that, that religiousness but well, and that's the way you feel the connection right right if it's not there the connection's not there Right. So you learn yeah. in India what food meant to you. I did. You you realize there it's your religion. Yeah, hundred percent. Right? right. And yeah. And like the piece, the mega lesson, the piece that really I felt the light bulb go off over my head was the one day the head cook was in a bad mood. And he came in and he was banging things around and it wasn't nice. And it wasn't nice for any of us to be in there. And then everybody got a little tensed and bad moody too, right? But then we took that food that we made and we served it to the folks there who were all like monks and nuns. You know what I mean? And that's only important because to some degree they are responsible for their mental state, right? In in this very sort of intentional meditative context, right? But we served them that food that day and I watched 
that cranky mood get delivered out to the entire dining hall. Everybody wow. showed up one way and left crankier. Okay. Right? Because of all the banging and, st- and you know what I mean? That happened in the kitchen. He cooked his anger into the food. 100%. Wow. Right? And I watched this happen and I thought, super interesting. And then a few days later, or even, a, even longer than that, it happened to be a day that his girlfriend visited. Okay. Right? And so, he walks into the kitchen with, like, rosy cheeks and a little spring in his step with a little twinkle in his eye. And we're singing and laughing. And it's joyful time in the kitchen. Right? And, And I watched us serve that joy out to people. Right? They came in however they were, but they left more joyful. Sure. Right? Because we delivered it. And I remember standing there because we just make giant pots of food, right? To serve 60 or 70 people at once. And it's always sort of like lentils and some vegetable curry. And I stood there watching this happen, realizing the exponential impact that a cook can have on people. Right? Especially, I mean, I'm, there's also like, I'm Indian, right? So I feel like there's nothing you can't cure with a giant pot of curry. <laughs> there's just no, no number too big of people that need to get fed because that's the magic of a giant pot of curry. Right? What was your role in the kitchen? Uh, I whatever you working did. hands and did whatever they told Maison, me. Maison prep. Yeah, totally, totally basic prep cook. They didn't let me do any of the fancy no, stuff. No, no, no. They, they, they weren't sure about Were me. Were you the only woman in the No, there were two kitchen? other women. Okay, cool. There were three dudes. Yeah, two other women. So, you take that energy you go back home for a bit. Yeah. Your aunt goes, you know, I know you were just in India. I have, I have it right here in California too. Yeah. Why don't you come? California happened before India. It was a precursor. Oh, really? California was during university. I didn't know, but the writing was already on the wall there. Okay, I get it. I, I was right? the, the writing around. was on the wall. That was my university summer. So, what, you, what did you do there at that? Like, were you just prepping food? Same. And, and Same. You, but were, did you find that once you were done cooking, are you in front? Are you front of house? Are you talking to these people? Are you serving no, these I'm people? No, I'm serving. I'm serving. serving. I am serving and I am making sure like I'm replenishing, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And there's a team of volunteers Mm -hmm. who are actually serving the food and I would jump in every now and again. So, was Ryerson your first real opportunity to be an executive chef? Yes. Interesting. Yes. So, was Stop before that as well? The Stop was, yes. The Stop was. Is that what kind of got you after the Scarborough Hospital? Stop is then your next step? No, Stop is early. Stop is 2005. So, basically, because of Stop, you got this opportunity. So, Stop made you a consultant for food activism. Stop made me an activist. Ah, you have to be an activist first before you know. 100%. I mean, I guess an activist and a consultant are one and the same in a lot of ways, right? And I think my roots are, I was activist and teacher. Okay, teacher's right? a good word. I'm, and, I mean, this is what I'm implying. Yeah. The precursor to consultancy is for sure teaching, right? Mm-hmm, is the fact mm-hmm. that I did both of those things together uh, and that I was like, yeah, I can do that. You know, let's of do that. Of course, you know? yeah, you learn because of all the experience that. Yeah. that you have. This is this is what I'm interested the most about yeah. you, Joshna, is this ability to piece all these different things that you've accumulated Yes. And now you're like, okay, now what? This is this is all my skills. I've done this, 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 this. Yep. I, I've proven I can do these things. Yep. I'm proving that I'm doing these mm-hmm. things. 
so it's interesting to hear that you're you're in transition because we all are, mm-hmm. and, and I love that about anybody. Somebody who says they're not in transition, well, th- I'm glad to see your final form. You know what I mean? Sure. You, you know, <laughs> That's I'm, a sweet way to put it. You yes. know, uh, my my goal in life is to grow with people like Josh and Maharaj because it just makes sense for you that you have all this experience and people are already supporting you and you have so much. Um, I don't know. The worst way of saying it is pizzazz, but the way you put it is there's no other person currently doing what you're doing. No, do you realize that? Like, do you, (laughs) does anybody ever told you that? I, I have suspected it, but I have not very many people have said, like, I, I know because I built this thing. Right. Right. And, and that could be just because I didn't see what I wanted in the paths that were already trod. Right. That why I wasn't interested in that. Uh, I was interested in something else. And I realized that if I wanted to do it, I was going to have to build it myself. Do you have a talent agency or do you have like a PR company? It's, it's I'm starting to branch into all good, of that. I good, really have been a one woman show. Oh, for hey, a very you have long to time, be, right? right? You really have to. Because you could be doing speaking engagements. Yes, that's definitely the road that I'm going down. Right. Right. For sure. Lots of and farmers I enjoy it. are looking for that kind of stuff. Yep. Like lots of local farmers are just looking for a voice to help them be heard because mm-hmm. the hardest part for local farmers I find is they're farmers they're not marketers totally you know what I mean totally and it's not saying like hey this is a job go do this job make this money no if you want better food in your own community you really need to have a communication connection between where the source, yep. the consumer, mm-hmm. and in between is tough. Like it's just yes. like an m- unbelievable Venn diagram. It's like it makes so much sense, but totally. there's, there's no real flag holder. There aren't many, if, no. if any. So the problem is how do you make that a job, right? I guess right. that's that's kind of what you're struggling with. Totally. It's so funny that you say that because I was looking through a bunch of little notes that I have about quotes about things that are sort of I was trying to learn and that are important to me. Um, and I keep all the old ones. I have sort of a pin board on my wall and I keep all the old ones just cause it's nice to review them. And I happened to be looking through them the other day. And one of the things I saw was nobody pays you to be a visionary. Interesting. And I was like, yeah, that's the truth. Yeah. At this point in time, even just particularly this day and this afternoon. Great. Let's talk uh, about right? it. It's like, it's, I am finding myself a bit overwhelmed to the degree to which I am asked for free labor. I'm uh, right? offering free therapy to you <laughs> right you. now, Joshna. Feel it's free really, to spill uh, your beans. It's really tricky, right? It's really tricky because my guts are involved in this, Mm -hmm. right? I Mm -hmm. firmly believe that this is the work that I am here for the 80 ish years that I'm going to get at this light. Like this is it. Do you know what Ikigai is? The Japanese term Ikigai? Uh, I've heard it, but I don't know. The you're, you're talking, what you're explaining is Ikigai is basically you get back yourself, the feeling of giving, but you're actually the giving back and it's your life goal, but it's not really like my life goal is to go be a bazillionaire and Mm -hmm. be rich and famous. Your goal is I want to do this thing that I love. It represents me and I should be making a living off of it because I am so good at it. Right. And I, obviously there's uh, not enough me's in this world. If there was Mm -hmm. there, this wouldn't be an issue. There wouldn't be. Yeah, that's right. So maybe let's talk about more. And obviously, sorry to all my Japanese friends, friends and family fans for <laughs> ruining what Ikigai is, but that's what my Ikigai is, okay? Yeah. And, and, and I know I'm pretty close. Why are community food centers important and how do they impact change? Mm. 
And we can talk about the stop and, yeah. and specifically and, and your involvement sure. and, and how you started with them. And even I, I want to touch as much as I can on both that and a little bit of Ryerson because sure. that's bringing us up to now as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, community food centers. Uh, I think that the, 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 the biggest uh, wealth or insight that they have to offer is that when hunger hits a life, it has a domino impact on all areas of a person's life. So, yes, we still need to think about emergency feeding, which is a dining program and a food bank. Unfortunately, that's the reality that we've got. And not all of our neighbors in this city are eating a good, at least just one good meal a day. That's the reality. And we need to do that three times. Like, so there it is, right? But what I think the community food center model and the stop as sort of as the original representative really took the opportunity to think about how we're going to break this cycle, right? And the thing Think about while folks are waiting in line for their food bank hamper, how can we engage with them? How can we support them better, right? Uh, and one of the most beautiful things that has grown out of that is skills development and capacity building, right? So community kitchens to actually help boost people's cooking skills. Because the truth of the matter is, rice and beans are cheap. Onions and carrots are cheap. The bi- I remember when I uh, when I first started at the stop, I, I did a job in every section, so I really understood what the entire operation was about. And my one day in the food bank taught me so much about the need, right? Because there's no question that economics is at the top of this list, right? And folks on fixed or, you know what I mean, on vulnerable incomes really actually do need more money to lick. That's just, just no question. However... We cannot say that in isolation from the mega lack of skills that exists, right? If people knew what to do with some onions and carrots and rice, they could have a whole variety of things available to them. Full protein, all the sources of nutrients they need. There's so much there. Um, And and there is just as much of a a skills and knowledge deficit as there is a financial deficit. So I, and I ran the community kitchens program at the stop and I loved that capacity building, right? It is both, it offers people a break from their social isolation, which is very sort of common for folks living vulnerably like this. And then to show people, like I remember one kitchen, I decided that the theme of that week was going to be, let's cook ourselves something that you would eat in a restaurant. Right? So we did a little poll of the group. And like, what is that going to be? What two or three things are we going to make? And chicken wings was one of those things. Right? Totally. That's, so, what, that's right? my at-home bar craving. <laughs> and I was sure. like, for sure, let's do this. Uh, and we thought about which way we were going to go and what kind of, you know what I mean? And we went for it. And we roasted them in the oven. Uh, and the satisfaction, and we like carrots and celery sticks and the, you know what I mean? We did the whole bit. Uh, but the look of satisfaction on their faces, and then we calculated it and figured out how much we actually spent on the ingredients versus how much you spend for a pound of wings at a pub somewhere. Uh, and that really started making, you know what I mean? And making uh, really thoughtful connections for folks. And we would do the same thing for um, mums-to-be or new mums, right? Really supporting both their own nutrition so their breast milk is as nourishing as possible. right totally that inside and then once the kid is on the other side of the belly figuring out how (laughs) baby food works and figuring out ways to engage your kid in the kitchen not a lot of time other kids running around yeah right and and just that support uh of other moms who are struggling and sleepless you know i mean and the madness of it all but then i had a kid's kitchen group and we had a there was a men's only kitchen group which what's the ad 
address, just so people know? Uh, 1884 Davenport Road. Uh, org is where you can find it. That's great. Uh, it's really a wonderful place. Um, and subsequent, there was the cooking, and then there, of course, is the, the growing, right? And there's an 800-square-foot garden up at Earl's Court Park um, where huge amounts, like almost two tons of food a season can come out of that garden. Right. And that goes right back into the dining program and into the food bank. Um, so there's the, the, the skills building is there. And then the final piece around that was advocacy and really supporting community members to tell their own story so that they can go and give a deputation at City Hall about increased social assistance rates. And, you know, so we can actually uh, make a diff- like make some change, you know what I mean? And really push. But if your tummy's grumbling, you don't have the attention to do that. You know what I mean? It all kind of spirals. Interesting. Right? I love that. I love these connections right? that you're making. And like I said, it's, it's that Venn diagram. We need somebody in the middle actually making this that physical connection. Right. And you have, we have to understand that the only way we're going to break this cycle is if people have the capacity to actually lift themselves. How do people learn about food activism? Uh, you know, how do somebody who's listening to this is realizing they're not doing enough to make sure that their family or their next generations right. are, are going to have the same or better resources than they do? Mm-hmm. Like, how do they... Is it on Twitter? Is it on a website? Is there events? Like, what do you promote that is the best way for these people to get involved? Yeah, well, my own experience with it has been reading. There's a ton of things to read, right? Early, like, seminal works now have become pretty much anything that Michael Pollan has written. Right. Right? Because he just, he lays it out. Sure. Right? So clearly, and, and we see, nobody else has really written books like that because mm-hmm. he did such an awesome job. Right? Right? Um, and he really, he gets where we're going, right? I, I love the fact that his recent effort has been around really the, the, the verdict is we all have to start cooking our food. Yeah. I right? Mean, it, it's perfect. It's like, first it was like the cows and the corn and the fields and the, oh my God. And the, <laughs> right. And the, oh God, it's also intense. Uh, but now there's the, the distillation down of like, what can you do? You know, what's uh, stopping us from cooking food at home? Trashna? Uh, our effed pri- up priority. Effed up priorities. <laughs> 100%. That's all it is. What's effed up about them? Uh, we don't give enough time to it, right? Everyone everyone I talk to, they're all just like, oh, I love cooking. I just don't have the time. Cooking's so great. I just wish it could happen faster. And I'm like, ah, what do you want out of your life? Right. Right? Do you want things to all happen super fast? Are you really going to... Like, I'm on a real kick these days about the fact that the reason we need to care about both our where, where our food comes from and how we're putting it into our bodies is because the point, the point of food is that life source, that life force connection, right? It's nutrition from the earth through the food to us. Food is this delicious, beautiful vehicle, right? With flavor to keep us interested so that we stay alive, (laughs) right? That's pretty much that sort of raw version of that transaction, right? But the, and so now it just, it makes so, it makes so little sense to me that we have chosen, you know, and gotten swept up in the momentum of the busyness of this life in this modern Western Northern world that we live in. Um, but we are more estranged from that life source in a world that demands more of us. You know what I mean? Like we've just taken it way too far. You would think that if, we were embracing these crazy, busy, frenetic, wild lives that we would realize that we needed better fuel to keep going. There's people that eat to live. Yes. And there's people that live to eat. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, jokingly aside, I do prioritize my 
eating, my food consumption, yeah. where I get it from. Um, and it's funny when I talk to my friends that don't prioritize food a, a, as a high priority yeah. to them, I, I'm always kind of like, why not? Like, what yeah. do you, why, you know, I'm not judging anybody here, but it's amazing when you do make food your priority, uh, you know, you get to choose what's going into your body. Nothing's convenience. You nope. make cooking, uh, not just fun, but a part of your life. Because mm -hmm. if you go to the gym and you decide, oh, I'm just going to go buy chicken on salad next door. But, right. you know, that disconnect of where that chicken came from or where that market you could have gone to interact with the community by something that and people spend too much money on convenience foods in yes. my opinion and yes and that i will judge you on people stop going out start having your friends over more when you're all like oh mm -hmm. it's friday night it's saturday i've been working all week i get it and as much as it's great to go to a restaurant and that's what they're there for you have to have a balance if you're just going to eat and eating convenience foods and you're just supporting one side of it there ha you have to support all sides that's how i look at it that's great Mm -hmm. Restaurants want your money and need your mm -hmm. money, but so do the markets. Mm -hmm. You know, so do the places that the same places your restaurant's getting the ingredients from. If you want that to be better, or maybe your restaurant you're going to can can, can maintain the prices right. that they're. You know what I mean? Help them by supporting the farms just as much as you eat out. I mean, cooking is so lost on people. Why do you think we we don't cook as much? Is it a millennial thing? Is it a convenience thing completely? I, uh, I think there's more to it than just convenience. A lot, there's a couple of things I think are playing into it. One is the great feminist exodus out of the kitchen. Interesting. Right? Uh, there's, I believe, we sort of lost the baby with the bathwater there on that. Right? Mm -hmm. Because uh, I firmly believe that nobody should be chained to a kitchen by virtue of their gender. <laughs> right? Like, Makes sense there's to me. no reason why just because I'm a woman, that is my job or my role. But... Uh, the requirement to cook is is because you're a human, not because of anything else. You know what I mean? Like this is it's like brushing your teeth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know what I, I mean? Should hope so. Don't outsource. Think about how the degree to which you're going to outsource things that are just integral to keep your human your human being alive. Right. Right. Um, and the other thing I think that I see because I do a lot of teaching and a lot of like coaxing people back into the kitchen is a crippling fear of failure. Right. And, and people don't realize that that's not what cooking is about. Right. It's about stepping into a relationship with yourself and your food and that you're always going to mess up. And that I like I re very repeatedly uh, mess things up. And, I'm, you know what I mean? Embarrassingly scraping things into my organic spain and having a sandwich instead. But and it's OK. But I don't know why people are so hung up on messing it up. And that's why they like obsessively chase yeah. perfect recipes and try to, you know what I mean? They want to know what Jamie all, or you know what I mean? What like, right, I don't know, right, Jacques, right. whoever is going to, you know? Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. They want a perfect recipe. And mm -hmm. I was like, there's no such thing. Mm -mm. A recipe is just one example of what one person thought that should look like. Right. In any moment in time. Right? Because it's like the way we deal with meringue is different, a bit different now than, you know what I mean, past because technology and what's available. 
Anyway, and if you're just going for a first time approach to cooking, why would you go the most extreme? Well, this is exactly it. Right? You know, path. And I and I and I think Food Network and the media kind of does that a bit, but which is why I always cherish the simpler shows like Alton Brown yep. and you know, all you got to keep it simple. And then that's my advice to any of my friends cuz we cook so much and yeah. we're the couple that, you know, listen, we're going to come to your house, we're going to cook you dinner. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you don't have it costs us maybe 10, 15 dollars to serve four people totally and our night and you bring the wine you buy the really expensive bottle That's of wine it. and we'll do the work and we'll do yeah. the work and it's so amazing how easy it is for us and our friends are always like oh i can't believe you guys do all this and all the time it's like listen i didn't start making you know right your own pasta and yeah whatever right yeah but uh, you learn what you like first i always yes. say my friends are like where do i start it's like what are you eating the most yeah. out of the house That's it. That's what you're starting on. Because imagine you get to perfect. I always tell my friends, I could teach you to make a better steak at home for under $20. Yeah. Then it costs you 50, 60. And I'll teach you how to make the mushrooms. I'll teach you how to make yeah, the green meats. Yeah, a just, little with the end of it. Yeah. Right. You know, it's so, the butter, that's the key, <laughs> right? That's what I mean. Salt, like yes. that, You know, and even if you're not trying to be overtly healthy, even just that little bit of money saved and quality ingredients used in your own home and steak, nothing gets more simple than steak in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You're really, you know, making that approach to cooking so much easier. And that's how I get my friends into it. Or yep. I just tell them, hey, listen, you buy the really nice cut of steak and I'll come make you a better steak that's than it. you can get one in the restaurant. That's what I say to my friends too. It's like, Use it as a tool socially, learning yes. how to cook, not only to get laid. Yes. I mean, that is the truth. I mean, that is the truth. The, uh, the way to a woman's heart is through her stomach. That's how I, I, I have a Jewish mother. I know how to win over yeah. a, a lady who a likes lady. to eat. That's it. Right. And for all my single guy friends, I'm like, guys, like. There's a real opportunity yeah. here. Like, and it's all it takes is, is applying the right amount of heat to this protein that's and adding this exactly fat. It. And if you break it down, it depends who you are, obviously. But. You're right. Recipes take away from that kind of natural storytelling of a mm-hmm. dish or this natural like cooking because you like to eat. And I think that's we're, we're all trying to impress everybody with social media and Instagram. Yeah, yeah, totally. Anyway, nobody wants to see your plain looking food. But hey, I do. I, I want to know too. that you're cooking. Yes. That's all what it comes down uh, to. A hundred percent. So let's talk about slow food. Yeah. What is slow food? This is a perfect kind of yeah, transition yeah, yeah. What we're talking about. So to you, what is slow food and what is the slow food movement? So the slow food movement is a pretty impressive organization, right? It's a global with roots in Italy um, with a real, like they say, I think and beautifully, they say it's about preserving the traditions of the table, right? But really, it, and from my understanding, having been a part of this community for a number of years now, it's really about a revaluing of all of the hands involved in moving food from field to kitchen to table. Right. And it's uh, I mean, there's a really sort of literal slow down. Right. Sit down, eat a meal, put your screen away, talk to another. Yeah. human being. You know what I mean? There's that <laughs> vibe. Totally. Um, but then there's also like, let's revalue how we understand farmers. Right. And there's this this beautiful thing. Instead of thinking about farmers just as simple laborers, think of them as resource managers. Of course. Right. Like really shift our value here. Absolutely. Uh, and I like I'm really five alarm about the fact that our farmers, I mean, it's a global issue, but particularly our farmers here in southern Ontario, that they all struggle for money. Right. Oh, I don't, there, are no, there are no farmers who are doing really well. 
right? Everybody is struggling to make it work. Many of them have such deep, deep uh, conviction about the importance of the work that they do. And for God's sake, they grow our food, mm-hmm. right? This most important, of precious job that we are so dismissive of. It doesn't make sense to me right? that there isn't a national not-for-profit that provides free marketing services to farmers. Connecting right. them. It's not as it's not as clean and tidy as you that. You know what right? I mean? It's much stickier. There there are some levers that, that function that way, but it's not clean. Call it marketing, right? call it publicity, call yeah. it connect networking. You know what I mean? These farmers are providing a product, but there's so much opportunity missed for the local farmer to really connect to communities because yeah. farmers aren't in the communities they're that not. they're being sold in. Yep. And it's it's amazing to see that disconnect. Why isn't there a natural national voice somebody like josh now going in there and making yeah. the connections it just it makes sense to me on a large scale like i'm sure it exists on like a food and safety way right of course it does yep. right yep. how come that also doesn't exist for the voice because it's not just food and safety that makes a difference well the complexity emerges with the kind of farming we're talking about Right? Because if we're talking about commodity farming, uh, there are plenty of organizations and levers, you know what I mean, that can exist to support that kind of farming. But that kind of farming can't really, like, there's, there's an end game on how much we can continue growing one thing on hundreds and thousands of acres of right. land, right? right. Um, but that's where the good prices are. And many, many farmers who wanted to stay small, who wanted to remain organic, who, you know, uh, financial di- like distress really pushes them into having to compromise themselves just so that they can make a living and not have a wash of a season, right? It's not a fair fight. Right is the problem right now because small uh, organic farmers don't have it don't have the same power because the the amount of work that organic the organic movement has to do to or even just the local growing movement has to do to get people to be okay to spend a little bit more money and this right? is part of the slow food movement a hundred percent is right because there where where we get to on this is bigger ideas about the fact that the World Health Organization says that on average you should spend eighteen to twenty percent of your income on your food right household income interesting 18 to 20 percent and what do you say is that low that sounds low no that's about right if you imagine 40 percent is your shelter okay right about half of that Mm mm-hmm is to keep yourself is okay, fuel, in the right? fuel in that shelter. Okay, right? I like that. Uh, and now theory. we're all to 60% of year and you you know all the other things that are going to compete for the remaining 40%. But currently in North America, we are at about 9%. Oh, that's see that. Okay, I was right? waiting for that low number. That's where, that's the truth. That's the truth. Right? Italy is sitting at 18 because uh, Italians are no jokes and they take their food very, and that's yeah, the reason a, why Slow Food's birthplace is Italy is uh, because they don't mess around. Western world is not figuring it out. No, we're not. Why? How come we lost the message? We lost. Well, it's. Uh, I think we. You know all the these change. answers, right, Josh? <laughs> that's why I have you here. Well, today. I think about them. I think I about know, them. That's why I want to talk um, to you about I this. I think that. I think that the new opportunity of this world, you know, the newness of this world, has really um, loosened us. You know what I mean? It's distanced us because there, it's tradition that does that. It's because your mother right. won't let you not sit at the. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And not to no slight to parents or any of that, but it's just different over here mm-hmm. our lives are different uh it's we are so many different people doing different things um and the chase of the getting your own i mean uh, capitalism is 
playing a solid role here because the other piece and the way when I think about what has resulted in that shrink of investment, the iPhone money had to come from somewhere. Right. Right. Where's that budget going to come from? It's funny. Slow food. The, the movement itself is like socialist in a capitalist world. Yes. Yes. That's kind of um, scary. And but to their credit, I've loved the inspiration to rebuild this different economy. Right. It's about it's about an opt out or an opt in, depending on how you want to look at it. Right. To a truer, more honest economy. Right. There's lots of lovely talk about the fact that our wealth is about the food that's in the ground and the people that make those connections and not so much stock markets and bank accounts. And, you know, did you get to have any kind of academic influence at Ryerson at, as the chef? Because I took food courses at Ryerson. Yeah. Like my liberals yeah. were like food and travel. Mm-hmm. And I, I was a sucker for food. The the Prof, by the way, who I had was extraordinary. Don't remember his name. He wore a different food shirt every class. <laughs> That's awesome. Cl- really class act. I learned a lot. And it was nice because I was studying my degree, which was just a broadcasting bachelor. Right. And uh, having that food course because of my interest yeah. in, you know, food and sociology in general, it means so much to me. That was a great liberal class. Totally. It's so They're, important to take. One of the coolest things about life at Ryerson is that the they the home for the Center for Studies in Food Security is there. Oh. Uh, and there were already a few folks who I had known by virtue of my work in the stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was it was a beautiful reunion when they realized that I was now on campus. Oh, incredible. Right? And uh, Mustafa is a pal of mine who was one of the profs there. And one of the things he told me was so great about the changes that we had made to the food was that it was for the first time he could actually say send his students out to see a living example of of a thoughtful attempt at sustainability. Can we talk about why you're not with Ryerson anymore? Yeah, we can, for sure. That was the, unfortunately, that just sort of ran its course. Right. Right? Uh, And it's really, one of the things that is hitting me this week is realizing that we are collectively at a place now where this is not about, this is not about pilot initiatives anymore. Right, and that we cannot actually keep entertaining these these little small smatterings of funding that show up to see if we can do something because right. we actually know. Sure, right? I know. Now. We have an idea. I know. Uh, we don't need to. We, there's no feasibility. It's not. We actually just need somebody to commit to making change. Right. That's like this is it. Is that you? Uh, hopefully, but I need some, I need resources from, right? The government, ideally. Yeah. Right. How, our, how do you go to the government and, and say, Hey, government, give me money. Well, it's a tricky one. I've realized that, uh, screaming and yelling, uh, might in fact be the most successful way to do that. Uh, via? Um, via the, the, the platforms that I built myself. Right. Okay. And this is one of those cases where being a one woman show really serves me well okay. because I do not have to edit anything that I say. Good for you. Right. I don't have to, I don't have to tow anything anybody's line. Good for you. I can say exactly what I want. Very important. Yeah, right? Um, because sometimes we just need to address the writing on the wall, right? The thing the thing that, like, it's, it's ridiculous that we are uh, as developed and strong a nation as we are, G20 nation, however you want to understand it, with no food policy. Who are you currently yelling and screaming at? 
currently, um, to be honest with you, my, a lot of my yelling and screaming is to, uh, towards Justin. Just to, like at, at Justin yep, Trudeau. There's at a lot Justin of that. Trudeau. There's a lot of that. Yeah. Uh, I'm thrilled about the emergence of one Jagmeet Singh. Yeah. Uh, because party, he sure. is, and yeah, he's a pal. Mm-hmm. Um, and immediately I sent him a message of congratulations and a like, anytime you're ready, buddy, let's start talking about food. Is there money in politics though for Josh? And that's what I'm saying. It's yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like it's, all well, these things you're yeah. doing. It's, it's, it's a bit like digging a hole in water sometimes. Oh, I right? love that expression. <laughs> oh, you're that's so exactly my kind of person, it. Josh. That's it. Nah. So uh, what's, I and mean, so, and I think about like the province, right? Is sure. really one place. Cause that's where healthcare mm-hmm. is managed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really rebuilding hospital food is low hanging fruit. Right. But I cannot seem to get Eric Hoskins attention. Is that your main priority? If, right. if someone said you can do this, this, or this, what are you choosing first to tackle? Uh, man, if they're going to resource it, I'll take hospital food. Hospital food first? 100%. It, it's amazing because there's so many hospitals being built yes. in Canada right yes. now. We're on like a resurgence because of our aging population. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're being, you know, decked out equipment-wise. Are the kitchens, be, you know, of the same Well, scale? this is it, right? It's a matter. And I have been really anxious to see how we're thinking about this as we build new hospitals. You know what I mean? Are sure. we? What's the way forward here? At the very least, I get that nobody wants to spend money on retrofitting spaces where kitchens have been surrendered in favor of an MRI lab or Mm -hmm, whatever nonsense mm -hmm. it was. But I'm like, at the very least, we can start with rethinking how we build. I I don't know why it's so hard for people to understand this. When you talk about it to me, I understand it clearly. And then I'm like, oh my God, why have we been doing this for 50 to 100 years? Totally. And I, I, in a past life, I actually worked as an architectural consultant on a sales side Mm. and I worked with you know gerontology based um, hospitals and and long term care facilities and you never hear about what's happening in the kitchen. How, what are we feeding no. these people? Exactly. What are the equipment that we can bring in to make sure that these people are getting the best quality food or we're able to cook and prepare them, the, you know, the right amount of space, you know, like why don't we realize by now that food is not just a luxury, but when you make right. it so normal, it becomes a luxury. Right. It's unfortunately, it is a mirror image of our collective relationship with food. It's just perhaps so acute because it's, 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 it's insulting, <laughs> right? In institutions. Right. Um, but this is a reflection of the fact that we don't care enough about what we eat. We just really don't. We're not willing to spend money on our food. We're not willing to offer our time to our food. Uh, and we are dismissive about things like the emotional social impact of sitting around a table once a day. You know what I mean? The fact that it's important for kids and families or however you understand a group of people in your community to take a moment once a day and sit down at a table. I mean, I'm guilty of it myself. I live by myself. Uh, and so the I, I have thought that it would be smart for me to make some sort of deal with my people saying once every two weeks or whatever it is, we got to cook together and eat together and talk to each other. Right. Uh, this is, we, we think that that is dispensable. Right. And we think that that's a waste of time because we have so much other shit to do to see who just liked our posts and who, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that's what mm-hmm. that I feel like we're chasing the gratification there when really it's quite beautifully available to us if we just made those 
other connections, right? This is, we don't care enough about doing this. So, speaking about not caring, yeah. this actually is a, a nice interlude into my next question is yes. about food waste. Yes. Because I feel like not caring has a lot to do with where our food ends up. Mm-hmm. You know, we are very lucky that uh, Toronto has institutions like Second Harvest, organizations such as Not Far From The Tree. Yes. And of course, your impact at the Stop Community. But where does Toronto stand on food waste solutions? Are we a leader? Uh, no. No, uh, because, well, look, we're doing a really good job of making use of things that might have gone to waste. And that's super important because... Uh, a large part of my life at the stop was seeing what was going to come off of the truck from Second Harvest and Daily Bread, right? That's by far social service agencies are relying the, like, almost exclusively on those donations for food supplies. And they are both incredible organizations that are working hard with very limited funds to get food to communities that need them, right? That is the thing. But... What we're not talking about is why is so much food headed down the road to be wasted in the first place, right? I hesitate to use the food waste because it feels it feels a bit tricky for me because there's a lot of people that think that ju- that that the likes of Second Harvest and Daily Bread are just perfect solutions to tie up that. Loop. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Oh, Whereas funny. it's very dangerous thinking. Yeah, that people are poor and hungry, just give them this wasted. Like, right. Mm, well, maybe not. Right? It's just a bad connection. It I is. think. I think it's one of many connections that could exist, mm-hmm. right? I think that's the problem. Precisely. Is it, it, we're funneling it into one path. Yes. Where there's so and, many other solutions. Right. And we're not we're not really understanding the value systems that we have in place that that create those surpluses in the first place. Right? The fact a large part of it has to do with our eyes and our responses to food in stores as consumers. Right? We want perfect looking things. Right? We don't anything with a blemish, anything with a, we don't want it. We think it's bad. We think some people, like, there's such extremes on that continuum. Some people think it's toxic and poisonous. Other people just like, I don't want to pay good money for food with a bump in it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right? When, unfortunately, uh, at least 40% of the food that comes out of the ground is going to have some irregularity I just because that's Mother Nature. How right? I say it is you're also from Mother Nature and you're not perfect. Well, that's it. That's you know, exactly it. We all, you know, use accessories right? to make us look and feel. This is it, to shine us up and put us out there, right? <laughs> I often, when I was working at the stop, I really wanted to launch a campaign to embrace ugly and misshapen fruit because we'd see it come out of our garden, right? right? And definitely this wasn't was in the cellar bags that came in the stuff that we bought from suppliers right and i wanted the i wanted the, our kids team to be behind that uh to really push a like i love you just the way you are campaign Cute. you know what i mean to totally. really like all the funky odd bit like this is us right uh, and there's there's i mean there's a beautiful emotional piece there but it is a material obstacle right the judgment that we make with our eyes and what because and it's simple things like I have uh, some pals of mine in a farm in Cremor who grow most beautiful Japanese cucumbers, right? They're crisp, delicious, gorgeous things. But any cucumber that is not perfectly straight and does not fit into the carton that the 12 cucumbers need to go in is not acceptable. Interesting. And and why? Who's not accepting it? And the where? market is not accepting so it. Where right? is it. So where does it go? So they have to absorb it and either find ways to sell it off or just mulch it under. 
Interesting. Because the market has no tolerance for these curly cucumbers. What is your take on big giants like Weston and mm-hmm. Cisco who when you hear these examples of, you know, what a perfect food looks like, right. you know, and it's clearly these big giants have an yes. impact yes. on our ecosystem, yeah. our media-based one, our, you know, our impressionable uh-huh. food brains. And I mean, like it's I don't mean to talk for anybody. I only talk for myself yeah. always. But I'm aware as a person on the other side looking in being like, I don't want to support the big giants, maybe here and there when it's a necessity that I can't get anywhere else. But at the same time as I know my impact by buying at markets versus buying at the big giants. Mm -hmm. But I also know that because I'm informed with people that are just coming to go to a Loblaws that is across the street from their apartment building. You know, I'm not saying they're not informed, but they don't prioritize being informed yes. they just prioritize hey there's a grocery store here that's it you know convenience takes over and i'm not saying that that person doesn't have that potential but because of that instant convenience it's a disconnect that mm-hmm. you don't seek to correct yes uh and and i do believe that big grocery stores are selling you a dream Right? Mm. They they want you to know the far-flung corners of the earth that they have moved to to bring you the best thing. Right. Right? And they're, they want to tickle you under the chin <laughs> with it, right? I thought of it like that. That's what it is. Oh, it's my the, God. like, oh, here, look at all these luscious, beautiful things. That came from South America. That's it. And you, you know? don't see all the stuff that the guys who are stocking the shelves have been instructed to chuck mm. because it doesn't look the way the shelves need to wow. look. Right? That is That is how that's where the manipulation has started to happen right um and and they 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 dress them up in things that look like farm stands right it's not nothing the way the produce section looks like a mirage it's like this fabricated world that's right to make you think that everything is being plucked out of the ground that's a media marketing thing when it's being so heavily curated right right for your experience that's a brilliant way of putting it Uh, and that real that's where things get severed in our minds right who are your favorite influencers of community and food in canada or globally because you you know somebody must have opened your eyes to these kind of concepts who are some of your favorite influencers um probably at the top of the list is alice waters uh she is chef and i believe she's like vice president of slow food international okay now uh but she is uh, uh chef and restaurateur her restaurant is chez panisse in berkeley California. And she is the mother of a lot of what we understand is field to table cooking right now. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and she uh, spent uh, a year or a summer or some nice time in France as a young person and uh, discovered French food and cuisine, you know, very much very similar vibe to what Julia Child was trying to do. Right. Uh, to sort of to elevate American cuisine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Alice has taken it a bit further because she really prioritized um, the beauty of food and the fact that when food is grown well, that you don't need to do very much to it and you just sort of enhance it and let it shine on the plate. Um, and like, look, her restaurant also didn't turn a profit for like 32 years. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> right? Because she really, pr- she did not prioritize wow. that. And she had whatever supports around her to keep that floating. Okay. Right? But it was about creating a space where people meet over good food. Very much an embrace of a European vibe. 
right? Okay. She understood that. Um, but then she has grown further and she's created this beautiful program called the Edible Schoolyard, right? And essentially the idea was there was like a paved space that got overhauled and turned into a garden. And the idea is that throughout the process of planning and planting and, you know what I mean, and tending and weeding and harvesting and cooking and serving and, you know, and enjoying, kids can learn all of the subjects that they need to learn. That the garden, that the process of a relationship with food can teach you that. So, when you're plotting out, right, you have to measure the distance between the seeds and you know what I mean? And there's math and figuring out the shape and the box and how things are going to grow. There's the biology of watching these beautiful things grow with inputs like sunlight and water and sweet whispers, <laughs> right? <laughs> Whatever it's going to be. Um, Heavy metal music. That's it, right? There's art, obviously, easily, yeah. poems and drawings and, right? And then there's the, then there's this coming into the kitchen and they, they get taught about how to set a table and how to find uh, wildflowers to put in a jar, you know what I mean? In the center to create that conviviality. And this thinking has really been yanked out of our curriculums. And so I just, I love that Alice is the one there who is pushing it. Uh, and for sure, she is teased and dismissed because she says things like, there's transformative power in a perfect peach. <laughs> right? And sure, I, like, I believe I that. love, like, listen, That's there's the spirituality the in that. is right. And like, she's famous for having fed presidents, uh, Clinton and Obama, just a perfect California peach hey, for dessert. Nice, right? For sure. Uh, and everybody's like, oh, this woman and her fucking peach. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I get it. And I get that she may not be the one to go to for like hard hitting grassroots solutions. Cooking about shouldn't be hard hitting. But I love the inspiration, right? I think Absolutely. so much about the way she respects food uh, and the way she values it. Uh, and just the simple like, this is just what we have to do. Food is just as inspirational as it is religious or spiritual. Yes, and I yes. think it doesn't have to be hard hitting. And that's what I think I like about you the most is you're so happy about just being able to inform yeah, people. Man. Yes. Because it's not easy. Like, we're, it's not. I know you're right? finding out that out firsthand. You're creating this you're creating all the opportunities. It, yeah. it sounds like so good on you. I, I, can I have a little bit more of your time? Would yeah, you, you can. We're gonna sure. have fun. I have a game as well. Oh my god, yes, let's do it. Uh, I just want to know, you know, for the slow food movement, you're a chef. Mm -hmm. You're on your Instagram, always sharing some recipes and and your outings. Yes. Uh, where are your you know easy slow food recipes coming from are they off the top of your head are you looking to cookbooks as we talked about like not making things complex in the kitchen yeah or maybe you can tell us some recipes you're currently working on and where these inspirations come from uh, a lot of it comes from uh, ingredients right and mm -hmm. it's I say to people because I I really I really started doing things like uh, doing tours of farmers markets to show people how to use a farmers market right because what I see is people talk about you know I hear people responding to just go to the market and talk to the far like you know what I mean it's a sort of romantic tale that's being told but on the ground on Saturday morning I see people at the market with their weekly grocery list. 
I see them standing there at the gate, you know what I mean? Before they walk in. Uh, and the problem is, hardly any of the things that are on right. that list are on any of those tables. <laughs> so true. Right? And then they're just like, farmer's markets suck. <laughs> right? I love this. Uh, this is so and I'm like, true. Yeah, I get it. I'm sure it sucks. Oh, you're brilliant. Right? And so I'm like, here's how you use a farmer's market. Uh, right? Because really, it's about seeing what's fresh and beautiful and figuring out what you're going to cook based on that. You cannot expect success to take your recipe that needs this and this and this and this and this uh, and, and know that that will all be there, right? Right. Unfortunately, the barrier to making this work is the fact that people don't have that skill and intuition about food, mm-hmm. right? I do because of what I do and I pretty much know what's going to happen when anything interacts with fire or water or air. You know what I mean? I know that if those carrots are gorgeous, then we're going to build something on carrots and we're going to have a fun time figuring it out. But not everybody is there. Right. And so, and so as I'm saying this to you, I'm like, what was your original purpose? What was your original Well, just basically like, what are some recipes you're working yes. on or, you know, what's your so approach I'm constantly, to I, uh, I'm constantly just thinking about the foods that I need to eat right? That I need to eat colorful things. And just for how my body breaks food down and my own sort of digestion and comfort, I know that I need to eat lean amounts of of meat, not a whole ton of fat, lots of green vegetables. So I'm like, how am I going to make this work? And how am I going to make this stuff taste delicious? Right. Right. Uh, These days, I'm on a really hot kick about incorporating the stems of the greens into the cooking process for two reasons. One is less to go in the organics bin. And second, if we imagine getting back to this life force thing, the stem is the spot. You know what I mean? The stem is where all of that comes through. So why are we dismissing it for the leaves at the furthest distance (laughs) away from where the new, if we really think about maximizing our nutrition and I mean, look, if you want to go down that road, uh, maximizing your financial investment in your food, Right. Absolutely. If you want to get the maximum nutrition out of it, then Absolutely. eat those stems, chop them up, take the leaves off, chop them up really fine, and saute them with onions and garlic in that pan. Everything first. tastes good in onions and garlic. Come on, right? I did it the other day. I cooked down a, a bit of chorizo, and then I cooked the stems and some garlic in the chorizo. Fat. Stems of kale. Kale. Kale stems. I do that always. Uh, so you pull off the, the leaves yeah. for your salad and then you saute. Same with broccoli. We eat all the it's stem. It's tender and soft and delicious, yeah, right? Beets. Beets too. Um, and the fact that that is a perfect, it's a really delicious meal. And once you have that, then I think about, I'm, and I look in my fridge and I'm like, sometimes my breakfast is some of that with a fried egg on top. Done. That's one of my favorite things Done-zo. to eat. Done, Leftovers right? with a fried egg. The, oh, the Asian way. It's the best, yeah. right? It is the best. And they're like a slightly runny yogurt on bitter greens oh it's a killer yeah, mouth, slightly right? runny yolk on anything josh uh, <laughs> it's I, the I, truth. i'm gonna i always wanted to do a diner that's you know your your retirement job is your favorite food that you cook for the rest of your community yeah that's, that's what i want oh my do. god what a lovely right i am so into it so i'm opening an all you can uh no you can eat uh, a 24-hour diner Nice. egg style anything yeah. you want but i'm also gonna have soft serve ice cream and i'm nice. gonna have cooked egg yolk on top of the ice cream glaze oh. right so you can have like a chocolate swirl with like a little bit of egg yolk cooked oh on it goodness. and then the whites can be used for a little other deconstructed things. custard right exactly right? well said i actually right? never thought of it like that yes that's for sure because who doesn't like that there. stuff egg yolk can go good on with sugar i mean that's why yeah. custard is what it is anyway i'm not i don't want to give too many so, of my secrets but to away. your point it, i um i 
I also, on the weekends and stuff, I like to go deep. And I like to see something that's cruised past my social media feed or, you know, see what other people are doing. I'm a cookbook junkie. Awesome. There's no question, right? I'm always buying them and always getting excited. In fact, I found this beautiful cookbook that had a recipe for uh, sautéed kale stems. And they treated them like Chinese long beans. Cool. Right? And just like really seared them and charred them in a pan to keep it moving with this little like blueberry hazelnut thing. Okay. Perfect. Then you would love this. I had a mega (laughs) surplus of scallions. Oh. Right? I had bought some scallions and they ended up being, I brought them from my farm distributor and they ended up being literally four times the size than I planned on them being. So I had a huge surplus. So I made like ginger scallion saw and I did all the regular things. But then I was like, give me a recipe for scallion pancakes because I love eating them. And let's see how I can make them. Well, that's my trick for my friends. They're always like, I don't know what to cook. And I say, yeah, you cook this. So my craving the other day was oxtail jerk style, like Jamaican style. Like I I go to Pat's around the corner on Queen and Bathurst here. Yeah, man. But oxtail ain't cheap. No. And even he's got a margin to make. So when Trish and I go, it's like 15 to $20. And if I just buy an oxtail for $20, because you have to buy a whole one. You got to buy the whole one. You got to buy. I learned that the hard way. Indeed. Crock pot. We made our own jerk spicy. We went to the Caribbean uh, uh, market in Kensington. Yeah. Like we did, and that was fun. We made a day out of it, or even an afternoon. Like people well, think, oh, it takes it too is, long. Right? Well, well, that's if you find it joyful, yeah. it, it can really be different. And and so I found, so I made the scallion pancakes and discovered a new technique, right? Because, so if you'll indulge me, Please. flakiness is about layers of dough and fat and dough and fat. In most cases, it's butter. That's the fat, right? Puff pastry, croissant, however it goes, right? But in this context, so this obviously, this is a Chinese origin thing. You make a flat, uh, like a flatbread dough, which is a lot like a chapati dough, right? It's almost identical. But once it's rolled out into your circle, you brush it with sesame oil, salt and pepper, and scallions, right? Then you roll that up into a log, and then you take that log and you spin it into a spiral, like you hmm. see baklava or okay. taropa, you know, sure. spada sometimes is like that, right? So once you have that spiral, then you smush that down and roll it out, and that's what gets put on the stove. Okay. And so there's still layers of dough and fat, sure. but the fat is sesame oil. Right. And it's this very smart spiraling and then flattening and rolling out that builds all those gorgeous flavors. Hot grill. Right? And then you're, you're and, game. And it's perfect. Yeah. Right? Right. And, and truthfully, it's very similar technology to a paratha. Right. I recognize, I was like, ah, this is, a, this is a Chinese sesame scallion paratha. That's what this is all about. That's so interesting. But the idea of a, of a completely different approach mm-hmm. on that flakiness, not involving an oven or butter. Right. Right. Same concept. Same concept, but it's happening on a stovetop right. with a less perishable thing. Right, and it's and it's right? flatter, and essentially the layers are there, but it's not meant to puff up as the same exactly, way, you right? know. But the texture's there, and and it's delicate and sophisticated, yeah, exactly. right? So then, as somebody handed me after my sort of pride about my scallion pancake discovery, <laughs> somebody sent me a recipe for scallion pancake challah. Okay. Okay. 
So essentially, make a holodough. Right. I had duck eggs, so it was a little richer than it okay. might have, or you know what I mean? Wow. Had a lovely time making this beautiful challah. Then divide it into three and roll it out into sort of three longish pieces. Same rollout, same sesame oil. Okay. Uh, salt and pepper wow. scallion on the rolled out piece. I added some dried chilies in there just because. Then you roll that up into a log. And so you do that three times. Right. Then you braid those three logs like together, brush it with egg, and in you go. Interesting. Right? And when I dug around, I discovered this recipe came from a woman who is herself a Chinese Jew. Oh, well, obviously, this makes right? sense now. Yes, And she was trying to, she's delightfully trying to find ways to fuse that together. It makes total sense. I mean, right? I love onion bun. Anything yeah, with, precisely. with an, an right? onion in it is, is the best. Totally. And as a Jew, I'll admit, Chinese is on the top of my list. Well, this is it. Like that, 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 that relationship is, all, yeah. is already there, right? It's already so tidy. And I loved the time to go down that rabbit hole, right? And now I think about interesting ways that I can incorporate that in other places. Like, how else can we build flavor like that? Or how else can you incorporate things, you know, that are that that is that same spirit? Um, and, like, the delight is that we live in this place where we can do those sorts of things. Right? With it's, 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 it's open and it's free and we... And I can go down to a Caribbean market and get some of that. Right. However the way that looks. And then I can get proper bagels or, you know what I mean? Sure, or whatever it yeah. has to be from wherever it's going to be. Or go um, to a restaurant that fuses them the way you like it, you know? Totally. Like Bami Boys or something. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You know, the more, you know, that they use local stuff to make fusion, I'm just as happy if, if I have to pay a lot of money to get something sourced for that kind of action. Yep. Not interested. Yep, I agree. I agree. Make it simple. Make it easy. Keep it simple. And that's what I like about you. And I think, are you comfortable? We're getting you comfortable. Yeah, Yeah, totally. you happy? For you sure. Happy? I'm so glad you're here. You, you have to tell you. Uh, it's a lot of fun. The reason I'm asking is we're finally going to get to know a little bit more about you. All right. We, we know what you stand for. Yes. We know what the powers that you hold that you're trying to put out there and the energy you put down. But I created a game just to get a little bit more knowledge okay. out of who you are. Amazing. It's called Dis or Dat. I'll give you two seemingly similar items. But obviously, there's a standout distinction okay. between the two. They're all food related. Got it. We want to know. I want to know where your preference lies. Okay. If you had to choose one or the other. Yep. Forever. You could never have the other one. Okay. So, I'll start you off with an easy okay. one. French fries or onion rings? Ooh, French fries. Oh, no no question. No wow. Question. Without even hesitation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My heart is with that potato. Interesting. There's is no it, question. Is it an Indian thing? It might be. Love it might be. Yeah, because not a lot of onions be. are never really... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the onion ring is the a bit flavor. of a luxury. Indeed. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but that fried up potato... Okay. Oh, God. I love yeah. that. See, we're already learning so That's much it. about you. Barks root beer or Brio Chinoto? Oh, Brio. No question. I love that stuff. Yeah. I love that herbally bitter business. Me too. I love it. And I remember, like, the, when I was here, Brio was the only version of it that I knew because I hadn't poked mm -hmm. around in mm -hmm. enough Italian grocery stores. Sure. But when I went to Italy and you'd see the variety of the Kinotos, right? Just knowing that they're just a, a variety of beverages, some more or less bitter than others, I lost my mind. I love that stuff. We'll have to have you back on to talk about some of your worldly travels yeah, and, yeah, and the yeah. food that you've experienced. All right, here's another one. Yep. Cake or ice cream cake? 
cake cake don't cake. don't mess with the ice cream and the cake cake yeah the ice cream because i can i feel i feel like i can eat more cake right. in one uh, sitting okay then i can eat ice cream cake good in one point sitting. very right because there's answer. a top end to how much ice cream cake you can take true. down right true and when it's done you're done are you a dairy person no my, yeah. my stomach's not really not so a fan. Into it. that's okay and so i it's good but a cake and i like i have this i really have a, this strong belief right now that i'm irritated that restaurants are serving like everyone has this compulsion around these like individualized precious things Mm-hmm. which I don't think always work. I hear you. And there are times where I'm like, can you just make a cake and cut me a piece? <laughs> For dessert. Do you know right? what I mean? That's smart. Instead of all this, just make a cake and cut me a piece. You're adorable. Okay. I get that. It makes so much sense to a restaurant too, because they could probably make so much more money with just like a piece of cake than all the work that they do to have a pastry and stuff. I mean, obviously pastry and and all that stuff is amazing. Mm -hmm. And especially Mm -hmm. when you have the end of your meal be that over the top thing. But I think a lot of, you know, mid range restaurants should just have a cake that they make. It's very smart. Just have a cake. Do you crave uh, non-dairy versions of things? Like do you crave, like soft like I, I don't eat a lot of dairy if I can yeah. avoid it but bunners in the market yeah, at yeah, yeah. like I need their soft serve because I need that mouth feel of like frozen ice cream yes. without all the guilt yes that I'm gonna I, have uh, pain later I yes and no there are times where I'm like if I'm gonna eat outside go the lines, for it I'm, I'm eating Good for cheese like what I'm what do you just, like uh, for me it's either pizza uh, sometimes it's pizza yeah um, but it's ice cream mm-hmm. and uh, yogurt Oh, you like yogurt? I like yogurt, too. I love yogurt. I like cottage cheese, and I I can't eat cottage cheese. Yeah, I'm sad that, like, I would eat yogurt every day all the time. Are you a savory person? Is that why? Like, give me salty, salty, not salty, sweet? No, yeah. I mean, I I like the salty sweet, and I definitely have a sweet tooth. Sure, me too. Um, But I I really can only go so far. Right, right. You know what I mean? Where I can make a disgusting pill. Like, I can be a glutton in a savory direction. You yeah, know what I, I mean? I can go way deeper. Is that maybe uh, your roots? Like, in Indian cuisine, like, other than, like, like, uh, lassie or, you know, actually, that's not true. Indian desserts Indian are sweets, so But they're intense, lavish. right? Yeah, they're they're so intense. intense. And made out of nuts and uh, a nuts lot of Nuts and milk and, sh- and yeah. ghee and sugar. Right? That's ghee. it. <laughs> right? I love... It's nuts, milk, ghee, and sugar. That is Indian. Listen, if I'm not eating naan without ghee... Why bother? Why bother? Why bother? To be honest, uh, I like... I The majority of my curries are, are built on ghee. Yeah. Right? Well, my good friend Ali Hassan, a very popular... Oh! He uh, and I are going to be at the Devour Film Festival in Nova great. Scotia in a couple of weeks. Oh, no way. Yeah, I'm no. super jazzed about yeah, actually he's, hanging he's, out with him in the kitchen. He's doing Muslim Interrupted, his one-man show yeah. in Halifax. So that's also why he's going to be out there. Yes, yes, I'm uh, super jazzed about being pals with he's him. He's the best. He is the yeah. best. He's he's definitely one on on the forefront of like bringing Muslim and you know Pakistani culture totally to Canada. It's like it's yeah. amazing to think that like we do have a lot of Pakistani restaurants and cuisine and and culture, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but there's not enough people like Ali, um, kind of putting it in the package that he does. Like it's he presents bridge, it so right? well. It's yeah, the bridge. The bridge. It's just like this you. is what it's I just do. Like it's you. me. Exactly. It's the same vibe, So, right? he yeah. taught me about GOG, garlic, onion, ginger. 
Yeah. And now I'm adding the other G, which is ghee yes. to that. But that is Indian cooking. He used to have a show called Bland is Boring. I used to love it. Yeah. And it was he always in his fridge, and I always too now, huge mason jar of just minced garlic, onion, and ginger mm-hmm. ready to go. Because mm-hmm. all you do is a couple spices. You toast those off. Your G-O-G goes in with your ghee. Yes. You have the, anything you cook in that is going to taste good. I agree. So, I where agree. are you going for Indian out of the house? Um... All depending it. on the vibe that I'm looking for. Okay. Right? Uh, if I, generally speaking, I when I'm craving something, it's some tandoor something. Okay. You know what I mean? Which I can't necessarily, I don't necessarily make for myself. See, I'm a kebab guy. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. To the Sikh kebabs. Right. Sikh kebabs and a naan mm-hmm. at La Hortica House. Well, that's just it. Like, and, and that's the a, best. And funny people, right? people think that's an Indian restaurant. It's actually pretty much Pakistani. It's 100% Pakistani. And the chef is Bangladeshi. Right. You know what I mean? That's, but that's multiculturalism in a nutshell. And that's India in a nutshell yes. in a lot of ways. Yes. It's you know, the everybody. As it were, you know that's what I right. mean? Totally. Yeah. And their food is incredible. I mean, no frills to the max. Like, I love that. Yeah, about totally. It. In fact, in fact, it's funny that some of what's what was in history perpetual renovations on that joint yeah. have, have closed and it is the sort of fanciest version of itself and it feels less I think it must be new ownership. There is because it unfortunately be the old ownership. owner passed away oh, a few years ago and okay. it was quite heartbreaking. He had a heart attack at a young age and I think uh, a major flip has happened. Well, as there. good as Indian food is, it's very rich. I mean, it can yeah. be very rich. Totally. And I'm sure he was eating that stuff every day. <laughs> I'm just, so, I'm like, I hate to break it to everybody. I'm not saying that's yeah. the direct cause of this man's demise. But it is for sure. But it's right? you can't eat cake every day. You can't eat cake every day. Okay, more um, more. So there's that. Then uh, I really love what my pals up on St. Clair are doing. Right. Pucka and G. They're both, I love those guys, and I like that they are creating a bit of an elevated Indian experience, okay. right? Because they're doing, they're, they're uh, mixing what we understand as uh, more sort of fine dining food, very Euro vibe. Interesting. Right? But with all Indian flavors um, in a way that is really enjoyable. Because one of, the tri- and one of the trickiest things about translating that, and I see that a lot of times when I'm cooking at events, and I, people want me to cook some Indian food, which is, I'm happy to do but indian food is by nature not plated food right and you eat it with your hands right uh and it's and you build your own plates right it's buffet right so the the idea that i have the or just the fact that all the things are on the table right and you portion how you know what i mean completely right so the idea that i would have the audacity to suggest what ratio Right, of right. rice to yogurt to you know everybody's what I mean? a different everybody appetite. has their own little vibe about it um but and so it's tricky to translate it into this first course second course third sure. course idea right regardless of all of that pukka is is this more formal spot and then literally across, down the way is g which is an indian gastropub that's what they're calling oh, it oh cool uh and i love it because it reminds me of food that you eat on the train Right, and there's all these gorgeous like vintia, vintage Air India posters in the dining room, cool. which is just and it fits. And there's some like screechy Bollywood thing happening in this bar area. But I joke around with Harsh, who's one of the owners, and I say, Harsh, this is like uh, delicious brown trash food. <laughs> right this is like because yeah. there's a macaroni muckany which is essentially mac and cheese, but then they layer it with their butter chicken sauce. Smart, right? And there's this like masala short rib poutine. 
uh, and other like this beautiful lamb kebab just like in Westernizing. a bun with, with some little right and it's like if you go to like Indian hot table-y kind of restaurants one of some of the other examples of this kind of food are like you can get samosas that they crunch up and then they just ladle chana masala on top of it right it's totally brown trash food but Interesting. it's delicious right it's those combinations uh, i love it yeah. it's sloppy and messy and and hot and you know what i mean it just fills all the needs it's about there. taking these individual things that in their own right are properly done yes. and then combining them together to make you know that's what we do with cuisine these it days is. especially if you want to call it like indian fast food or like comfort food yep what do we do at home we find the two things in our fridge that it please us the most that's and it find a way for to connect them that's exactly it right and so much of food is just what has become what was available right right we all we had this and we had some leftover this and uh we just put it together right it was not that we thought and we planned and we you know what i mean we put this together uh, so much cuisine not just indian cuisine at all and i'm really i'm really enjoying opening up my understanding of what of the authenticity piece around this right because we see that here and i like I challenge myself with it because I, when I walk into a ramen joint, I like the fact that it's all Japanese people there yelling whatever it is. Absolutely right. And I and I, when I sit there and I'm slurping and I'm eating and enjoying myself, I'm like, how would you feel if it was three white guys back there? Right. Right. How much of this experience is based on the fact that it's a bunch of young Japanese people, the men in the kitchen and the woman serving? It seems. You know what I mean? The dynamics seem to be the, that way. And then I think to myself, okay. But, like, where are these little teams of young Japanese people who are happy to be farmed around the world to create these authentic experience for, you know, for people? Uh, and where's the room for a young black cook who spent four years in Kyoto learning the master broth and the, you know what I mean? Shouldn't he have an opportunity to come here and cook ramen, you know, uh, the way he's learned it? But my eyes and my history and my experience stand in the way of embracing that. And we say, right? We're like, how do you know what a good Chinese restaurant to choose in China? Yeah, Go well, find the one with the most Chinese people in the dining room. That's very that's, true. Right? We know this. This is right. the game. And this is how we say, this is a good Ethiopian restaurant because a lot of Ethiopian people are inside. Right. That's how we know. Right? Especially in Toronto. <laughs> Precisely. Yeah. Right? But but the truth of it all is, and we want people who are doing things we want that's legit jerk. Or it's, you know sure. what I mean? We want things the way somebody's grandmother made them or however that goes. We want to know that they, that if it's somebody who's feeding you tacos that there's a you know what i mean that it's a latino person there who's making you those tacos when the truth of it all is that the way anybody's grandmother is doing it now is different to the way her grandmother did it and that everything actually is a constant evolution right and what really hit me when i was pushing my mind through this was that if we actually insist on something staying pure somehow through the passage of time, and if that's what we want out of a dining experience, then McDonald's is actually doing it. Right. Right? Like, if that's really what we want... Right, simplification They're giving and that consistency, that untouched consistency, when the truth is, we move around, different things are available, different priorities exist, right? I already, like, my mom, my my grandmother taught my mother how to make a chicken curry. My mother taught me how to make a chicken curry. Uh, But the way I make it now is influenced from how I understood what my mom told me, to the tweaks that I've made with my sort of professional training, to how 
I've seen other people make chicken. Or you know? your own tastes. That's it. And then it will develop from there. And you're like, this well, why can't it have more ghee in it? You Precisely. Know what I mean? And my mom likes really sweet food. Okay. I mean, not so much. So I right. pull back sure. on the tomatoes and the, you know what I mean? Um, but under, just letting go. Yeah. Right? There's a huge letting go that's required here that goes, in embracing all of this. That goes back to the slow food too, yes. right? Being able to connect with your food on a personal level yeah. and taking it back and being like, yes, you could go to that burger place and have the same burger over and over again and you know how it's going to make you feel. Yes. But what happens if you took even cooking your own burger at home, you yeah. know, knowing what meat to get, what meat do you like, what ratio of fat. That's it. You know, being able to save money by maybe mixing a little bit of pork with your beef. Mm-hmm. You know, like all these things that ultimately how I look at it is like you can spend six to eight to ten dollars at a fast food restaurant but uh-huh. you could probably get two or three burgers out of that if you make it at home yes and you put the time and the effort in it and then that also means those two or three extra burgers go to your two neighbors and you're right? sharing with them and then there they they cook one day and they bring it to you and it's like why are we spending as individuals why are we spending so much money on convenience yep. foods yep. as individuals Especially because to, together, we're you know you make the rice, you make the peas, yeah, you man. make the protein, you, you make got the a bit dessert. Of garden, you got a bit of vegetables there. You want to hang out with these people anyway. Like, I, listen, I understand if you don't have friends, but I'm, chances are you do. And yep. if, you know the friends that break bread together are the friends that stay together. I agree. Let's get back to a little bit more. Yes, <laughs> we go on these amazing did, tangents. I love this. This is great. Uh, this is just supposed to be a simple game. Amazing. So we're still playing dis or yes, that. yes, yes. Okay, I'm back. I'm All right, you. so you. Again, you, you have to choose one over the other forever. Okay. Steamed or fried dumplings? Whoa. Right? You can't have pie gao anymore ever. You can only have the flat top fried right. dumplings. You can never have, you know, a, a fried gyoza. You know, you, you have to have a steamed version of it that's really hard that is a hard one that's really hard um ultimately i think i'm gonna go fried <laughs> okay two for fried french fries and no dumplings <laughs> two for the fries. there's the thing actually the first one was onion rings or french fries there's you, you lose in that one anyway yeah. okay red curry or green curry Ooh. let's keep it in like a tie setting yep yep yep, yep. uh green Green, yeah, green, green for sure. I like the herby, yeah, the lime leaves and all that. The lemongrass. I'm I am learning that. that about you. Yeah, hard shell or soft shell tacos. Oh, soft shell. Always is it no just question. like a convenience thing? Yeah, the the way that thing disintegrates in your hand, right? When you one crunch, might as well have a chip. Oh, I get it. It's like it's like a handful of nachos, <laughs> <laughs> right? Okay, here's no. here's another tough one: pasta or pizza. <sighs> I feel like there's like an Indian deep-rooted oh. connection to Italian food. Yes. Is that like Jews and Chinese food? Is like your Italian, is like a, do a lot of Indian people crave Italian? Because I feel like we crave Chinese because like we'll never make, you know, crispy pork. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, 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 right. Because you, you're such a rice-based. I think it has more to do with the like. Geographic. With the hardcoreness about family and the oh, table. Oh, that makes sense. Right. And that I remember, actually, I remember my brother. He was the first person b- between the two of us who went to, he went to Italy before I did. Okay. And I remember his call back and he was like, yo, this is just like India, but with Italian people. <laughs> He's <laughs> like, Indians, funny. Italians, same people. Right? This is your uh, younger brother? Yeah. How, what does he do now? He, uh, my brother, he, uh, he lives in 
uh, Thailand. Oh. Uh, he was a trained engineer, robotics okay. engineer who wow. worked in the auto industry. Okay, then. For a long time, making tons of money. And we'd laugh because he'd call me in the morning uh, and he'd talk about, like, at the time he was literally building Hummers. Uh, and I was trying to, you know what I mean, <laughs> rebuild the food system. And we would <laughs> laugh and I'd be like, and I, I guess between the two of us, we net out at zero. Oh, funny. Uh, but we, you know what I mean? He'd, he'd be like, what have you done today? I've already built three trucks. Wow. Right? So, but he got to a point where he hated it. Hey, my brother's a plumber. I, get, I know exactly what it's he like. He hated it. Uh, and he cashed in his chips and bought himself a backpack and a one-way ticket to Thailand uh, and wow. has been living in Asia, really pushing back on this idea that you have to have a job and work to pay for the life that you want to have. He's Our like, kind of I'm people. done. So, wait, wait. Are your I'm parents... Done. Where do you... Uh, what is it that your parents have done to you two specifically to give you these yeah. uh, amazing abilities and this this want and a ability to uh, achieve? Like, it's amazing that like, you and your brother are clearly from the same pod. Yeah, for sure we are. For sure we are. So, what are your parents doing? Like, are my parents... Um, what's so special about them? My parents... Them? Well, one is the immigration. What part of India are they from? Right. Well, okay. Remix story. My family actually is South African. Okay. Right? So, we're four or five generations African. I was born in South Africa. Um, and so, then my parents moved here when I was 18 months old. Okay. So, we do have Northern Indian, sort of mid-Northern Indian are those roots many generations ago. But, like, my family connection is is about an Indianness that has this funny African filter. But they are Indian people. Fully Indian. 100% but Indian. But they're from South Africa. But with a history. See, in I actually yeah. did know that doing the research. Yeah. You... you moved to Brampton at a like infant age yeah. basically from South Africa. So your parents were Indians living what part of India is their family from? Both North Indian. North Indian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you're from South Africa. Does your family go back? To South yeah, Africa? and we have tons of family. Wow, there, right? And they're all it's Indian, huge. obviously. All Indian. Interesting. Um, and so that piece. So then my parents left for a number of reasons. Perhaps easily one of them is not wanting to raise their non-white kids in apartheid era South Africa. Sure. Right? This was the late seventies when I was born, um, and so they came here. But they also were very clear with us throughout our whole lives about the fact that we are here and that there are some expectations that you have to do some good things with the opportunity that has been offered by wow, all, okay. right? I understand. That's no jokes. All of that. That was very clear uh, that we had to do something. What it was was completely our choice. What did they do? Um, my mom is a pharmacist, uh, not by her choice. She wasn't really into it, but in the options that were available, that was the one that she kind of got pushed into. That's a pretty um, revered job nowadays. Totally, totally. Uh, and at the time, it was part of what um, the Canadian government was looking for with immigrants. Okay. Right at the time in the okay. late 70s, immigration was a bit tighter and you had to prove that you had a profession that was required by the community. You know what I mean? And that's, that's great, though. Could uh, be worse. Totally. My dad started out as a teacher. Okay. And then when he moved to Canada, uh, got himself into um, accounting first, but in the context of trucking and distribution logistics. It's a lot of big business Moving right there. shit around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My dad was really good at moving shit around. Well, it sounds like you have some pretty solid building blocks. Totally. Totally. Oh, yeah. First, there's no question. Yeah. Right? And the other day it hit me realizing my father, he really uh, had a mega spot in his heart for both Nelson Mandela. 
understandably, mm-hmm. and Gandhi. Okay. Right? Those were my dad's two dudes. It's a little g- complex in their own right, the, how they connect to each other. Indeed, yeah. right? Uh, and Nelson, uh, like, he was always sort of like my faraway grandfather. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Because my dad was so deep with him. And like, I remember moments when he walked out of jail. Right. And I like what was like one, it was a big deal to watch the television and watch this man walk out of jail, considering all of the history and everything. But for me, the more impactful thing was watching my father watch that happen. Right. He just stood there in disbelief with tears streaming down his face because younger versions of him would never have imagined that he would have watched that happen. Wow. Right. Powerful. So I've realized that when you get told stories about dudes like this Mm -hmm. your whole life, Mm -hmm. The bar gets raised. There you go. Key influencers. Right? The bar gets raised. Absolutely. Uh, for what is expected of you. Um, and my dad, like both my parents actually were like, if that's what you believe, then you get out there and you make it happen. Well, I know we've gone on another fun tangent here, yeah. but ultimately we were talking about Italian food mm-hmm. and the deep root connection between yes. Italian it's families the family to family, and right? Families. This is a hundred percent. But we were learning more about Josh now. Yeah. We were learning. Uh, so, on you, that verdict, I'm taking pasta. On that verdict, pasta. I'm taking pasta. Do you, do you, is pasta more Italian than pizza? Uh, it's a good question. I, I just made it's it a up good on question. the spot. I, I no don't idea. know. Um, especially because of that bit of history that I know Italians are not so fond of. Where pizza comes from. The suggestion that the Chinese the right. noodles are precursors to Italian pasta. I mean, are they wrong? Uh, we, uh, you know, uh, who, know. Who, who, who was here first? Who's older? Yeah, who's older? Right? Who's older? Exactly. Um, they say like, um, that about Chinese medicine in general, like how we are legalizing recreation recreational marijuana but you know the chinese have used herbs and opiates and you know naturally for you know decades uh, decades centuries indeed uh, before we did so pasta over pizza yeah where's like what's a good pasta restaurant for you Um, do you make pasta at home or do you have to no i don't um and i used to love he's not there anymore but my friend giacomo was the chef at vertical uh, weirdly in the financial district. Okay. But this man cooks the way his grandmother. And again, hey, the authenticity. Here absolutely. we are, right? But man, mm, he can make uh, some gorgeous pasta. I love Giacomo's pasta. Moving on. Yes. A fancy cocktail or a fine glass of bold red wine. Dis or dat? Uh, cocktail. Yeah? Cocktail. I like hard booze. What are we talking? Uh, like a like an old-fashioned. Hey, right? bourbon lady. That's what I'll take. Okay. Yeah. I'm, a little smoky old-fashioned. I mean, I should have known that. I should have known yeah. that. Yeah, uh, A burger uh-huh. or a fried chicken sandwich? Uh, this Hindu is going to say burger. <laughs> Where do you get a good burger in the city? Uh, Richmond Station. Oh, yeah. What? Yeah, milk I bun. never get uh, tired. With the torchon inside ridiculous. the patty. Ridiculous. And that beet jam. Carl and his beet jam. Yeah, I love any homemade ketchup. You make me a homemade ketchup, I'm all... Uh, I'm a kid. I'm a fat totally. kid at heart, you know. Totally. Ketchup on everything, especially if it's fancy ketchup. Mm-hmm. I'm all about that fancy ketchup. Late night Korean. Or late night Chinese? I am going to say late night Chinese. Okay. Only because if it's late night, I am generally not sober. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, all those old fashions. Right? And the idea, and for me, Korean food is largely about Korean barbecue. Okay. 
right? And the idea of navigating right. that hubcap mm-hmm. and all of the things <laughs> hubcap uh, totally. feels like I just just give me that spicy calamari and for me deal with it. I, I I think Korean's almost a healthier version of like late night Asian yes, cuisine. Right. So if you're, you're right. greasy from all your bourbon, you want greasy food. It's it's tough. I I, I don't drink. And there's as a, much, there's a so bit yeah. of a green light for eating at that point. Right. You know what I mean? When you're a bit sauced at the end of the night. Listen, it's either like, I could go to McDonald's or I can go to this home-cooked Chinese food. What's worse for me? Precisely. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're so funny. Uh, Ramen Mm -hmm. or pho? You can only have one. You can never have the other again. Ramen. Ramen. That rich broth. Right. But they're interesting because they are... rich broth. They're both broth-based you know deep rooted like these yeah. are serious broths. totally 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 but there's like there's something about that bowl of ramen that mm-hmm. i don't i don't have that same connection to a bowl of pho right interesting i, I feel the same way because i it's feel not a tuck in the same way it is i don't know what it, it's kind of funny <laughs> it's like japan does this the most complex things the simplest i yes. find where pho is just like it's kind of like a mishmash of stuff in the end of the day like it's like it's a because of how uh um, their version of peasant food is basically pho and yes. Vietnamese cooking, where ramen is too, but the, they elevate even differently. Yeah. It's like Vietnamese, they're, they're not interested in elevating it. They keep no, it as precisely. is. And then you meet us here. Right, right, right. There's also something I love about the the fact that Japan's beautiful embrace of the solo diner. Right. Right. Well said. That is a huge piece totally. of why ramen is amazing. That you can just, your little stool, and nobody's going to mess with you, and you don't have to look at an empty, like. Slurp in peace. Go, right? Slurp in peace. Don't That's look, it. I don't want anybody in general to look at me while I'm eating That's anything. It. Nobody wants to see just that. Let me let me do my thing. My girlfriend, who I absolutely love, is eating tacos that she made. Jerk pork tacos are the best tacos I've had yeah. in a long time. And I'm in the den and we have like a bar area open and she's on the other side of it and eating tacos. And I'm like, I love you, but I can hear every... Oh, no, it's the worst. <laughs> it's just like, I don't... And, and the for worst. the same reason, I don't want anybody to be in my vicinity when they're watching it's not a pretty sight all right last one this one this is kind of a a a real you know this this one is going to hit home okay samosas Uh or pakoras you could only choose one what are you doing to me (laughs) (sighs) and who makes the best samosas and pakoras in your family or Uh, my mother makes the best samosas oh yeah there's no question what's in it well and so here's the important piece herein lies one of the distinctions with my african indianness okay because our african samosas are different okay right samosas that you recognize are these bigger bits with this blistery pastry whole peas and oh the thing that i dislike the most is the whole coriander seed that you crunch into. Whereas my family's samosas are small, smoother, and almost as though it's like phyllo pastry, right? Very sort of more sort of delicate thing. Filling is chopped up. Mostly it's generally ground meat. Sure. Chicken or beef. Right. Um, or a little, my mom will do a little peas and potatoes thing. But my, they're like three bites and they're perfect. Smaller the better. I think so too. Yeah. You get so many doughy corners with those other ones. You're right. Right? And I'm not into it. But they're easier to make. Yes. Now, on the other side of things, (laughs) 
I make a kale and onion pakora. Hey. And I like my pakora. I make my pakora batter thinner, so it's a little more tempura-like. Okay. Right? And the way that that batter clings to the ridges of a leaf of kale oh. is very pleasing. I could only eat kale that way. <laughs> yeah. And I keep saying to people, I'm like, you don't lose the nutritional benefit of the kale hey. just because it's dipped in chickpea batter and totally. fried and you still kale. You just extra nutritional batter uh, value in other things. Maybe it's not nutri- as nutritional. Precisely, right? That's um, so funny. So, oh man, that's hard. Yeah, but for, take you out of the equation. I'm going to eat it somewhere. Well, no, maybe it's it's your homemade samosas. Like, who yeah. else makes pakoras? Like, pakoras are tough. I feel like samosas, pakoras like you tough. can make them in a batch. Yeah, totally. Pakoras are a la minute thing for sure. Yeah. Right? Uh, definitely. Oh my god. Well, look, if I get to eat only my mother's samosas. I'll take them. All right. Over any uh, any any other nonsense, pakoras for sure. Well, I want to thank you for coming in ah, today. You're so Josh welcome. Now. Thank you. I feel like this was just as joyful and therapeutic. <laughs> I'm here for <laughs> you anytime, you. Thank you. Josh. Now, can we get your socials? I know your website's in dev right now, yes. but it's coming out soon. Yep. Let's plug um, all socials your stuff. are all my full name. So Twitter and Instagram at Joshna Maharaj. No spaces or dashes or anything like that. Um, Facebook is the same. JoshnaMaharaj.com is coming. Really, within the week, it'll be up. So, there'll be lots of uh, blasts and excitement about that. I really enjoy your Instagram. Thanks. It's a great way to kind of check in on you and what yep. you have going on. Twitter as well. You're very active on the socials. And, and of course, as you learn, this is our path now, right? This is, it's inevitable, it's right? I have to. But at least your voice is enjoyable to uh, ingest. So, and I mean that yeah, in every way. Yeah, thanks, thanks. I try to at least have it be entertaining and not just porn <laughs> you know what i mean like that uh, there's enough of that it's but true. like let me tell you why this is an interesting thing or you know what i mean let's tell you how this information fits. porn we're trying right hey yeah we're on <laughs> to teach and stimulate no, that's right our <laughs> right. appetites right uh check joshnamaharaj.com when it comes out i'm sure by the time this episode releases yeah, yes yes we'll we'll be uh checking out your website thank you for listening to another episode of speaking duck on never sleeps network thanks josh now oh you're so welcome thank you never sleeps network this has been a never sleeps network production executive produced by alex ross for more information and content visit neversleepsnetwork.com 